This is the fourth Sunday in Lent, and in my sermon this morning, I'll recapitulate the themes of the season, which are important, and then uh, preach on all three readings, briefly on Jacob and on 2 Corinthians, and then focus on the gospel from Luke today, the famous uh, gospel about the prodigal son, and how we might understand it uh, in our own lives in one way or another. The major themes of the season of Lent are repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives. Or we could say that another way. We could say personal integrity. Uh, Lent is a season when we we reflect on our character. We attempt to reinforce those aspects of our character that are godly and good, and we do something about our defects of character and how we can ask God to help us in the process of becoming the human beings uh, that we're called to be, made in the image and likeness of God. So today we read from Joshua. We don't hear much, uh, we don't read much from the book of Joshua in the lectionary. And this is about the people of Israel's entry into uh, the promised land. And it represents the the transition between now uh, living off the land in the wilderness and the transition into living off of the stuff they're growing themselves. And so we begin to see the um, transformation of the settling in. Uh, Father Cockrell said at 9 o'clock, this is very important to remember, the wilderness in the biblical witness is not a desert. It's a place uh, where uh, one reflects on on one's circumstances. When Jesus was, even when Jesus was exercising his earthly ministry, it was not in this all arid area like a desert. So the people, though, in their wanderings were moving through. They were eating manna, and they were kvetching about the manna. That wasn't right. They didn't want it, and things were just, we have... A series, as you know, in the Pentateuch of murmuring passages. There was murmuring going on. A common practice even now. Parish life, you know, 1250 B.C., right? So Jacob takes the people into the promised land, and they camp at a place called Gilgal. I'm not going to tell you what that means in the original language. This is a family show. We don't want to hear about that. But we do uh, know that it is the place where they begin to say, now we are going to constitute ourselves uh, or make a transformation between being a gang that has come out of Egypt and a wandering group of ex-slaves, and we're now going to become intentional once again about keeping the law and uh, understanding ourselves as the people of the covenant. So we're going to reinforce our practices as a sign of gratitude for God's presence in this process and in this journey. And so it's a very important reading to set us up for the gospel because the people were living off the land in this way and we're going to have the prodigal son living off the pods that the pigs get fed So uh, until he comes to himself. And so Joshua is about... Uh, telling the readership this has to do with the processes 
of the people of God as they come into a surer and clearer focus about who they are. Moses was a very great leader, and he is in the biblical witness a great teacher for people who are in positions of leadership because throughout his leading the people of Israel, he was constantly involved in the process of turning the people's focus away from the place of remembered good times to the future and say, don't look here, look here. And when you do that, you're going to begin to see how God will reconstitute you as a people, that both corporately and personally, we are going to get a deeper and fuller idea of God's purposes for us, and we will have a new vision about God's plan. And that's what this process is all about, this wandering. So we're set up in the wilderness for this to come now to some sense of clarity and fruition in the history of salvation. In 2 Corinthians, Paul has my second favorite line in the New Testament at the end. Since we are ambassadors for Christ, God is making his appeal through us. And what is he making his appeal to? That we become participants with him in the processes of reconciliation in the world in big and small ways. He says today, we now must be reconcilers. Christ, Jesus Christ reconciled us to God. And now by extension, we are engaged in the process of reconciling the world to God. And for some reason, we're part of the process. We're needed for this process. We must become ministers of reconciliation. The, min the mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. Page 855 of the Book of Common Prayer. So this is a reminder of what our mission is as Christian people in big and small ways. You know, some of you may think, well, I, can, I'm a I hope I'm a reconciler, but it's a pretty small uh, group that I have any possibility of working with in this regard. doesn't matter. We're talking about the ordinary and the commonplace. We're not talking about major uh, reconciliations that we all have to be part of. You know, you and I aren't going to be able to do a whole lot with North Korea. But thank God we have people who are skilled in these processes and they will do something and be reconcilers with people in Korea, North Korea. So we need to, uh, do, we need to be involved where we are in terms of what we do as reconcilers. So today we have the famous story in Luke's gospel of the prodigal son. And uh, this is where Father Brewer's breathless tour of the synoptic theory comes in handy again. This is a story, a parable that is unique to Luke. It is part of what biblical New Testament scholars call special L. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark's gospel to write their gospel. And Luke and Matthew had special material that appears only in their Gospels called Special M for Matthew and Special L for Luke. And then Matthew and Luke had another source called Q, 
which they use to help them write their gospel. Q stands for German word quella, which means source. So we read Special L today, the, the parable of the prodigal son. The young son goes to his father and he tells him that he wants his father to give him the inheritance before his father dies. He wants, them to give, he wants his dad to give him his share. So his father divides the property between the two sons. So in the ancient Near East, what, what the hearer would have already realized was, as the result of this process, the father's property has been halved. So the son cashes out and goes to a far country where it says in the new revised standard version, he wasted his substance on dissolute living. I, in this particular text, prefer the King James Version where it said he wasted his substance on riotous living. <laughs> it has a kind of kick out the jams quality to it, doesn't it? You know, he was going for it. Get this puppy in overdrive and we're going to do it. And he finally hits bottom and he ends up looking after a, a farmer's pigs. Of course, the sub, can you imagine a pious Jew reading this and realizing that uh, he's now looking after pigs? Not good. And he's eating the uh, pods. What it probably was was carob, you know? That's what he was eating, that the, the pigs ate. And at that time, he has a moment of clarity. He has experienced what they call in the recovery movement the incomprehensible demoralization. And when he does, he realizes now he's got a plan. He's going to go back and throw himself on his father's mercy. So he heads back. Mother McNeil read a poem at the Sermon Discussion Group. It was very good because it, uh, the poem had to do, it was called Prodigal. It had to do with uh, getting yourself to the place where you think you would go back. Or you're willing to go back. Think about the emotional, spiritual, and mental processes that are involved in coming to that. So he heads back, and when uh, he's a far, away, far away, his father sees him, and he runs to him, puts his arms around him, kisses him, tells his slave to get him a, a fine coat and a ring and sandals and to kill the fatted calf. And he said, my son who was dead is now back and is alive. This is a parable, of course, Jesus is telling about uh, God's redemptive work with, the, with, with all of us. God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. That's what this is. This is, by the way, a perfect parable to read if you know anything about Ignatian spirituality. St. Ignatius of Loyola, he would say when you read uh, a biblical passage for the purpose of meditation, he would say, where do you put yourself in this story? 
Put yourself in the picture. So who are you? Are you the prodigal? Are you the father? Or we get to the third character, the older son. So his father and the prodigal go into the house or the, wherever it is and are having a celebration. And his son, the older son, has been working in the fields and he comes and hears this celebratory uh, sound. And he asks one of the slaves what's going on. And he said, well, um, your brother has returned and your father is uh, having a party for him, a party of welcome. And the older son is so angry, he will not even go in. And when his father comes out, he remonstrates with his father, refuses to go in, and said, I have been loyal to you always. I have done everything that you have said. You have never expressed any generosity towards me like this. And I resent it deeply. And his father says, Son, everything that you have, I have is yours. You know, don't begrudge my generosity. This brother of yours was dead and now he's back. We're beginning to, to enter into the process of reconciliation. So there's a couple of things with this parable we might want to reflect on and think about. One was that when we make a major decision about uh, reversing the direction that we're looking for happiness, sometimes we think we can dictate the terms by which we return. So the prodigal son said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to throw myself on my father's mercy and I'm going to say I'm not fit to be your son. I just want to work as one of your hired hands. Right? That's a, that's a way of saying, I'm still in control of the process of healing. And so when we think about that, uh, we need to ask ourselves, what is, what's involved in this in terms of an unconditional surrender to um, God's will and purposes for us, even though we now know the great truth that when God's wrath and God's uh, mercy collide that God's mercy trumps God's wrath always. And this has been expressed by the Father. The older son to me is, is uh, like a lot of people, like a lot of good Christian people who have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's and somehow believe, though, that it's a zero-sum game. So that means uh, they've done all this, and why is it that somebody who appears to be getting a free ride is getting a free ride? That's when you read all the passages in the New Testament, all the sayings of Jesus that, has, that, that say things like, the unworthy are coming into the kingdom of God before you. Well, how does that feel? You think you have maintained uh, all of the things that you're supposed to do and somebody who has been absolutely fast and loose with all the kinds of things that we believe are right to do gets in. Do you want that? Do you think it's fair or reasonable? Do you even believe it? Or hope 
that the people who have behaved badly are really going to get it in the neck? They have placed their post-mortem bliss in jeopardy by virtue of uh, what they have done. And the older brother is sort of feeling a little bit like this. And his father reminds him that uh, there's no change. This is not a, a call to be like the prodigal. I guess one of the final things to say is, uh, in, in families, this kind of thing happens all the time. And you and I have to struggle in our families with the reality that we have family members who may behave badly. And in fact, in a way that's harmful not only to themselves, but to us too. So how do we maintain the relationship that we have and look after ourselves? Sometimes it isn't safe to have the prodigal back in the house. Sometimes you have to make that decision. Is it possible for you to unconditionally love your children even when they act out and you know they can't come in? Not until they have demonstrated some, some healing, some uh, reinforcement of the promise they've made. Because it is necessary for your own emotional, spiritual, and mental health that you do this. And for those around you, if you intend to exercise some leadership in the family. So this isn't easy. And the question that arises then is this. What does the prodigal son do tomorrow? He's invited in. He gets a big party. He's brought back, you know, to the status quo ante. So what about tomorrow? What do you do? What's he going to do? There are some people who think, oh, well, I've been unconditionally forgiven. I have now have a free ride. I'm going to float down a stream of grace or go back to my old habits and practices and it'll be okay. So this doesn't free any of us from reflecting on this text about the necessity of doing the hard work to demonstrate uh, that we've changed and that we need to do that. The good news in this reading is that God's generosity and abundance knows no limit. God does unconditionally love, accept, and forgive everyone. God's mercy is irresistible. But we have also learned that in some ways we must respond to the divine initiative begun in us. And that as we do that, our behavior and our character goes through a transformation. So in one sense, we have to live in the paradox of this unconditional uh, love, acceptance, and forgiveness and the necessity to respond and to be responsible and to look clearly at those defects of character that all of us possess and do something about them. So this week, give thanks for God's abundant forgiveness. Give thanks for God's mercy. Give thanks for the opportunity to be part of the reconciling work to God in the of God in the world. This is so important. We're in an age, maybe every age has been like this, where we need to be reconcilers, you know? 
And that's what we need to labor and do. And also, we know throughout Lent, always underneath all this is God's ever-presence. God will not leave you as you move through this process. Amen.